0: Right at the beginning of Galatians, Paul sets out his testimony as evidence of the truth of the gospel of Jesus and it's the same with us as disciples. The gospel of Jesus is true and our testimony of life is part of the evidence which illustrates that it's true. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, By their fruit you will recognise them. In this Playmakers podcast series we talk about the message of Galatians with real people and think about how this gospel of Jesus has transformed, underpinned and built the lives of men and women of God. These are not the testimonies of people from far away but people who sit next to us at CCBS on Sundays and in small groups. Real people who show that Jesus is Lord in their daily lives. this episode we ask, when life hits you extra hard, how do you get up and carry on in faith? As St Paul knew, for all of us who follow Jesus, there are times when we're flawed by the things that happen to us. Today we talk with Jane and Yvette, two amazing faithful disciples of Jesus who share some absolutely incredible testimony. We hope you find it as helpful and inspiring as Matt and I did when we spoke to them.
1: Hello and welcome to the Playmakers Galatians podcast. We're joined by two new guests in our studio. Hello, guests. Hello. Hello. Can you please introduce yourselves?
2: Hi, I'm Yvette Sanson. I've been coming to the church for just not quite a year. I arrived from Braintree when the church closed there, but I've been part of Relational Mission for a very long time. Well, it's lovely to have you, Yvette. Thank 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 you. you for coming.
3: Hello, and I'm Jane Lane, and I've been coming to the Caris Centre for about 17, 18 years now. Wow. And I'm married to Andy Lane, and I've got three children.
1: Wow, thank you for coming, and it's lovely to have you here as well, Jane. I'm going to introduce our big question. So today's question is, when life hits you extra hard, how do you get up and carry on in faith? Can you explain what we mean by that, Nigel?
0: Okay, so... It's not necessarily an obvious theme in Galatians, that life hits you extra hard and you've got to get up and carry on, but it does fit in with the theme we've been looking at on Sundays, or we are looking at Sundays. As we try and follow Jesus faithfully, we're often tackled and hit hard by life. Sometimes that can feel quite soft. Other times it leaves you on your knees, struggling, and it's really, really hard. For Paul, a lot of that had to do with persecution and imprisonment, but it also had to do with the legalism versus grace and all of that sort of stuff. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. So what we're kind of interested in is when life hits you really extra hard. And I know we both know that for you guys, life has had times when it's hit you very hard. The enemies hit you, all of those things. How did you get up? How did you carry on? How can you help us and other people in the church to carry on? Because we all get hit by life.
2: Mm. I think from my point of view, this is Yvette, what I've observed over many years, because I'm now very aged, is that what happens with a lot of people is when life hits them really hard, they tend to back off church. Mm. And I think it's the worst possible thing to do, the best possible thing to do. And the decision I made was to get stuck in Mm. even more, really, and... If that meant I sobbed my way through church, then I sobbed my way through church. And if it meant I cried through worship, then I cried through worship. And sometimes church is the hardest place to be because when you're there, the Holy Spirit shows up and all your defences go and you just have to get on with it. But I think it's the most fatal error to back off. The best thing to do is to get stuck in.
0: So can we ask you, how did life hit you hard? What happened to you, Yvette?
2: <laughs> um which which episode? Well, I, <laughs> I guess chronologically, one of the hardest things was discovering that But I have three children, a girl and two boys. Uh, and quite early on, both my boys were diagnosed with autism. The youngest is still nonverbal and will, unless there's an absolute miracle, will never live an independent life. They were both prayed for at the same time for healing. One of them kind of learned his way out of autism. The other one didn't. Uh, and my daughter's just recently going through a diagnosis for autism as well as an adult so i think when you have a child with a disability um, i mean andrew wilson talks about it as yeah. the life you never expected mm. it's very much that, and you feel robbed and you feel a sense of mourning for this child and for the relationship that won't be there
0: how long have you been living with that how old are they now oh
2: I have to lie about my age and say I was 12 when I had them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew is now 35. He's the youngest. Jake is 38. Jake is so much healed that he's now a motorsport commentator. Wow. He, he talks for a living. Yeah. So from not being able to develop English at a normal age, uh, he now never stops talking mostly about motorsport. Matthew has a few odd words here and there and lives. Uh, he's about to move in the next couple of weeks from a care home to supported living. So even though he's quite disabled, uh, learning disabled, he's still making progress. Um, I can still see the hand of God on him. But it was a tough thing as a young mum with three children under the age of four at the beginning. Then as they got older, discovering that two of them had quite a severe learning disability. Mm. that was It was tough.
1: Yeah, I imagine it was a a big shock because again when you've got uh, when you're expecting children it's like you plan out that what life's going to look like and then all of a sudden you know
2: <laughs> yeah and we were investigating Jake who's the middle child's child he's an I don't know we were investigating his lack of language development and there was a sort of special speech therapy play group that I took him along to for his diagnosis and I was taking Matthew along because I had nobody else to leave him with and at the end of the course of sessions they said to me Of course, you realise Matthew's worse, and I hadn't. Right. And that was a huge shock. Mm. I just thought he was an incredibly well-behaved, quiet child. Right. Because he was still very young.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Jane? Would you care to share?
3: Yeah, mine's been a health condition, and I had a chronic illness for three years so back in 2017, I started experiencing really bad pains where I was struggling to walk, I couldn't drive. I was struggling to even like lift my arms. And I didn't quite know what was going on with me. It started off slowly, and we just thought it was going to be Achilles tendonitis. But I went to so many consultants, and in the end, a consultant said to me, I'm really sorry to say, but you've got lupus. And it's a chronic condition, it's incurable, and I'm basically going to be on medication for the rest of my life. Well, in that doctor's office, I just felt that I was hit by a train, and the grief just overwhelmed me. But in that split second, I knew that I had a choice, and I could choose to do this on my own, and maybe even feel a bit let down by God And why he let this happen to me. Or I could just hold on to God with everything I've got. And thankfully I decided to do the latter. I just knew I couldn't get by without him. Mm. And I think I just really wanted to sort of show what faith looks like with a chronic illness. Some days I could worship God, read my Bible, come to church, lift my hands, and some days I would be on the floor of the shower sobbing because of the pain and because of not knowing if I was going to be healed or not. And I just wanted to sort of encourage people really that it's still faith, whether you're on the floor of the shower floor or whether you're raising your hands in church, And I think it took me a while to realise that because I looked at myself and I would see myself as weak or I'd feel that I didn't have enough faith sometimes. But actually, it was through people at church. They would see me coming to church because I really didn't want to miss church or group or anything. I just wanted to fill every part of my life with God but a bit like the Psalms, some days I would be really complaining and really crying, Yeah. but that, is, that was okay. And it was through other people saying to me, Jane, I can just really see that you're really falling, you're really holding on to God. And I felt like a fraud when they were saying that to mm. me. And I wanted to be really transparent with people and say, well, actually, you didn't see me earlier today when I was like crying and complaining, but... Then they said to me, yeah, but you've still got your stake in the ground. You're still holding on to your faith. And I thought, you know, that's right. And the thing what the enemy wants you to do, he wants you to focus on your shortfalls. He wants you to focus on your shortcomings. He wants you to focus on your failures. And I'd just be really honest with God and I'd say, I'm feeling this, this, this and this. However, you are still on the throne. However, you are still my God. However, you are still my King. And I just found that even if I wasn't feeling it, by owning up to how I felt, but then making those declarations gave me strength. But I certainly wasn't strong every day. A bit like what Yvette said, it was I knew I just had to jump into everything feet first with regards to God.
0: Okay, so... The thing about being hit hard is that you can get hit hard once and you get up and you might be limping. But you're almost certain to get hit hard again. And I know that testimony-wise there is more to come on this. What else has happened? I'm looking particularly at Yvette because I know there's more to come.
2: And Well, in 1998 my husband left me. Um, when the kids were 14, 12 and 11 and he left me for a man so it was really difficult because for over a decade the children had grown up with both parents being committed Christians both involved at church and we sort of worked our way through learning to live with Matthew's particularly Matthew's disability, Jake's a bit to some extent as well but then I was on my own and not only was I on my own but one of the parents who had said this is everything I've stood for all my life was suddenly saying no it's not and I'm rejecting all of that and I was really worried that the kids would be bullied because of it so we we tried to sort of like keep quiet about why it was that he'd left and although there was I mean somebody said to me Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear your news, but, you know, there's two sides to every story. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes there's just one. (laughs) There's actually sometimes just one side to the story. And to have to tell people my husband's left me, I felt so much shame and so much failure, although there was nothing I could have done, really, to have changed the outcome. But it was really difficult. But, however, the church around me, my elders, they encouraged me to lead worship, to continue preaching. Uh, and I did within a few weeks of him leaving. Uh, I was still doing those things. And it was incredibly painful. And also at the time when he left, we were supposed to be going to Stoneley for the first time, because our friends Morris and Rachel had said, you should come to Stonely because there's a fantastic crash there for children with disabilities called the Ark. And Matthew would love it. And we'd decided, yes, we'll go. And they'd been talking about this for a couple of years really. And we said, yes, we'll go. And then he left and they said to me, why don't you come anyway? Bring the kids, come anyway. And I did and they were like surrounded by 7,000 people worshipping and it was just so full of joy. It was a hideous place to be in a way. Oh, yeah. it was ju- I just stood in a lot of the meetings and just cried all the way through the worship and it was the year that Let There Be Joy came out and that was you know, the most Ouch. cheerful song in the, yeah. <laughs> in the canon of worship songs. And I can remember coming out of the main tent, or the main cow shed as it was in those days, and one of the elders from Morris's church then said to me, "I don't know how you can stand it," and I said to him, "I just know that if I don't, I'm lost." Mm-hmm. And he said, "You're right. Carry on." It was difficult, but it was really important to carry on serving and to for one of one of my children's parents to carry on the same sort of the same beliefs, the same faith, because it wasn't just my faith I was fighting for, it was theirs as well, really. Mm. And years later, when they were grown up, I, I did take my courage in my hands and ask them, how did I do as a single parent? Uh, and my daughter said to me, you just carried on being you, mm. which was so important, and to just keep doing the things and, and keep... <laughs> Uh, And I can remember the first Sunday after he left, going to our little, we had like a little satellite church that met in the pub. Uh, And somebody said, I have no idea why I should bring this verse, but I think I should bring it and I don't know who it's for. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Mm. says the Lord, plans plans to give you hope and a future. And I clung to that verse for years. Still, it came up again and again and again. And I clung to that scripture and I chose to believe that it was true, that God would give me uh, a future and it wasn't going to be a grim one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Were there any particular verses for you, Jane, that you clung to during yeah, what you've been con- um,
2: going
1: through?
3: I think, it's, oh, I think it's Isaiah 40, 31. And it's those who wait on the Lord will soar up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I think for me, I wasn't really able to walk and run for a time. And so those words just really leaped out at me. And I think I hung on to scriptures and also God doesn't mind us reminding him of his promises. And you can see that all through the Bible, other characters in the Bible, that they would remind God of his promises. And I just feel there's such a power in speaking that back to him and uh, disappointments are going to come and I think the w- waiting is just so hard like when you're waiting I think before I had anything really bad happen to me I used to think well what's so bad with waiting waiting's just you know a waiting room it's just <laughs> waiting but actually waiting is so painful and I think when you've gone up for prayer time and time and time again to be healed and it hasn't happened, you question if you've done something wrong. Mm. And I had some not-so-great experiences where travelled somewhere for a couple of hours and had someone pray for me amongst others at a venue, only to be sort of told, basically, that there wasn't enough faith in the room for the healing. And oh, so... I had quite a few experiences like that, which sort of, like, would knock me backwards. But again, it's amazing how gracious God is to you. And it's holding on to things not only he would tell me, but he would tell me through my children. My daughter, who was 12 at the time, I'd been ill only a matter of sort of, like, weeks at this stage, not years – And uh, I went to bed one night and she left a note on the pillow saying, Mum, I asked the Holy Spirit why he hasn't healed you yet. And he told me, I can make mountains move and seas dry up. Don't think that I can't or won't heal your mum. And so times when I would be like, I can't do this anymore, I would just look at that piece of paper. I carried that piece of paper absolutely everywhere And there were also other people through this church that told me as well that I was going to be healed or had pictures for me. And those things just gave me such encouragement. And just going on again about God's grace, it was just in this time when I was going through something like so difficult. The kindness of people was just amazing and I made friendships in the church that I didn't have before my illness and I made connections that I didn't have before my illness. So God really does use the bad stuff to make something good Mm. out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did what's happened to you ever affect your view of Jesus? You have both said that you really clung on to him. Was there ever a time where maybe you thought mm, I'm, I'm not sure did your faith ever ever wobble
2: i think with my my third episode um <laughs> which is when she when, hasn't finished yet. no I, <laughs> sorry um, in 2002 i i got ill and was diagnosed with something i'd never heard of called myasthenia gravis um which means severe muscle weakness and it started really sort of in a minor way i started in the evenings after I'd eaten thinking my mouth feels really weird maybe I'm allergic to something but it was actually a sort of a, a muscle weakness and basically the neurotransmitters stop telling your muscles what to do and uh, I got steadily worse and then I got really bad and really worse and worse and worse and my kids I think thought I was dying in front of them and I know that people did think I might be dying because uh, I I had a prophetic word about it I was telling Somebody, I'd had a prophetic word that there was going to be something nice come along after I was well. And she said, oh, you're not going to die then. (laughs) Tactful, but but reflective of what people actually thought. I think I was going through this process and it was probably, it was probably about four or five years before I started to feel anything like well again. Uh, And I I really think it didn't do my faith any good Mm -hmm. because I did wonder, you know, I always kind of had this theory that I have a child with a disability that really ought to give me a buy into the next round. I shouldn't have anything else go wrong. It's in, it's enough, and then all this other stuff happened as well. Uh, and I, you know, I just thought it does say in God's word, "You will not be tested beyond what you can bear." And I did really think that His estimate of what I could bear was a heck of a lot bigger than <laughs> <Right>. my <laughs> right. estimate of what I could bear. <laughs> yeah. At times, I think there is sometimes. You have to sort of say, "Well, I don't have a choice here because where do I go other than Jesus?" Yeah, you know what? What else is there? There isn't anything else. Once you've known the truth and once you've come to realize you can have a relationship with Jesus, where else would I go? Yeah, and it, it was that, really. I think probably was, you know. Otherwise, if somebody had said, "Oh, this is just as good," I might have, tr- I might have given it a try some some days. But um no. It, there isn't any other solution for me. And it, it does mean that now, uh, in a sense, no matter what happens to me, I do my default setting now because of it, all the, all of these things that have happened. And my default setting is God will provide. Yeah. Uh, and I have once or twice said to the enemy, I don't know why you keep bothering with me. You know, <laughs> why why don't you move on to somebody else? Because you're not going to get me. Because <laughs> I do know that Jesus is what gets me through.
0: I've got a question to ask, which is an unexpected question. You've both mentioned, I mean, I, I know from conversations with Yvette, some of this stuff, but you would, what you went through was a disappointment when you came to Jesus and you were told, you know, your life is now made, you're going to, you've are gonna, got eternal life and all the rest of it. I can't imagine for a second that either of you thought, hallelujah, I'm going to get ill, I'm going to have problems with my kids, all of that stuff. How did you cope with that disappointment? What did you do with it? Have you coped with
3: it? There's been times that I don't feel that I have coped with it. I think with my illness, there were times I had complications. There was this one time I was in London, and a consultant was saying that he felt I had liver disease because of the medication I was on. He felt was adding to it, but then I couldn't come off the medication. And it was just making me really, really ill. And um, he said it's a real grey area. God did speak to me on the train. He said, but I don't live in grey areas. And I really love that because it's like we all live in grey areas where we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but, but he knows. And that gave me great comfort and you would think that I should have just stayed in that, yes, he's, he's on the throne, he's in control. But actually, by the end of that train journey, I'd let fear come in. And I definitely was living with a spirit of fear for some time. I had insomnia. I was violently sick like nearly every week. I was just had huge anxiety, panic attacks. And so for a time I really did not feel that I was being very strong at all but through it all I actually went to work with like um, verses in my pocket and sometimes when I'd feel a panic attack coming on I'd just nip to the toilets and like read a verse or say it out loud and, and it was almost like something I'd almost have to do hourly um, when it was really bad.
2: I think disappointment's one of the most corrosive things it's um, It's really difficult to live with, and I think there was a time when I would have looked back and told you that the signature word for my entire adult life was disappointment uh, That's how it felt at the time that everything had been disappointing or nearly everything had been disappointing it's it wasn't what I signed up for um I think. I'm probably happier now than I ever have been. And, mm. you know, we've not long come through a pandemic when 80% of my income disappeared. And I just thought, God will provide. Because I think so many awful things have happened that my testimony is that he will bring me through everything. It is difficult dealing with disappointment, but I suppose disappointment doesn't last forever. Mm. I learned two really important things along the way, I think. One, after my husband left I went to counselling for a year with a, a wonderful Christian counsellor and she said to me sometimes there is no best thing to do all you can do is the least worst and that was actually really quite releasing to know that I'm not supposed to be doing a best thing all the time sometimes I can go with just what is the least worst and what is what is it I can manage at the moment uh, and that was quite freeing. And uh, the other was um, my church leader when I was back at, in my ichthus days, uh, John Prisdy. And he just used to say, it will not always be like this. Mm. It's just a few words, but they're very comforting sometimes when I'm feeling really disappointed about something. I remember John saying, it will not always be like this. Mm. I think he was talking about his wife learning to drive at the time, but uh, it will not always be like this.
1: You, you talked about waiting. Jane you've waited a long time you've made the decision you said you made the choice to hang on to God um what's happened
3: yeah well I made the choice to hang on and it was like Yvette said before because and sometimes when there was that feeling like uh, I just don't know what to do or I obviously had my anchor in my health <laughs> instead of in him, which is so easy to do because health is just such a big thing. Faith really is a journey and it's like looking at the whole journey. And it's like sometimes you could be full of faith in the morning and you can be on the floor at night crying. And it's just almost just accepting that that's okay because just choose, just keep choosing him. And he's. He's chose you and he's not going to let you go. And just knowing that it is a journey and it doesn't look one certain way, it can look very different for everybody. Just before lockdown, actually, I was feeling like a lot more sort of able in my body. And so, I mean, I've I've lost count of how many medications I was on at one point. (laughs) I don't know. I was on everything, it felt like. Mm. And um, and I started to just, without the doctor's permission, I just sort of came off one of them just on my own. I thought, well, because I would just forget to take it because I was feeling okay. And then the one that was making me really ill, I thought, oh, I better ask the doctor for permission for that. She was like really quite against me being off this drug so I said, well, can you ask my consultant? And um, she said, yeah, but, you know, she couldn't really see why he would sort of just let me drop the medication. So anyway, I just prayed and asked God. I said, Lord, just let it be really obvious to me that if I'm to stop this medication, please let it be without any doubt because I don't want to stop it if I'm not supposed to. Yeah. Because I'm not saying – because medications you do need sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And um Anyway, she phoned me up like the next day or a couple of days later and she went, she just started off the conversation going, good news. The consultant says, because you've been feeling so well, why don't you give it a go and come off the medication? Well, that was in May 2020 and I haven't been on any medication since. And I think at one time in my life, (laughs) Mm. I was on steroids, morphine, methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, progabalin, Cody. I mean, I could, the list goes on.
0: Are you speaking in tongues? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. We'll wait for the interpretation. I know. It took me quite a while to pronounce them as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then in the lockdown, when Boris said we could only exercise for an hour a day, well, I hadn't done any exercise in about three years, but... As soon as Boris said we're only allowed an hour, I thought, well, I'm going to take that hour. <laughs> At first, it was, like, really pushing because it felt like shackles around your ankles almost, like the pain and the the weight. And But I found the more I did it, the easier it became. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, sort of towards the end of the mini lockdowns, I was doing some 20K walks, you know, when... <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would struggle to walk from waitrose up to church. Right. And there was a time I was in a wheelchair, so, yeah.
2: Wow. Oh, yeah, I don't take as much medication as I used to, although I will be on medication for um, the foreseeable future. But uh, I was in shielding um, during the first lockdown, not leaving the house for 12 weeks. Um, uh, but then as soon as Boris said us shielding people were allowed out for an hour, I went slightly mad and did couch to 5K, which... Okay. Um, you know, my consultant's really pleased with and uh, we've been able to reduce my medication so you know and do you
0: do 5k three times a week
2: now about that yeah 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 we'll Which, see
1: you at the local park run
0: then well
2: yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah if people who knew me years ago knew i was running they would they would just laugh <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah can i just say i don't do any of that sort of like (laughs) long walks nowadays and a bit like what you said as well i was shielding in the first lockdown as well and we were in the extremely vulnerable category but again god said to me you're not in the extremely vulnerable category those that don't believe in me are in the extremely vulnerable category because it was horrible to be sort of in that category you felt i don't know like alone in my case yeah
2: um
0: Just want to ask, this is an odd question, we have to remember that this podcast is for the church, is for people to Mm -hmm. hear, and hopefully outside the church too, but of the people who were around you when you were going through those difficult times, can you give some examples first of all of what people did that didn't help whatsoever, and both of you have given an example of that already really, but what people did that didn't help whatsoever, and also what people did that encouraged you and did help and was really helpful so that people in our church can know that when they're watching people going through stuff,
2: how can I help? I think when, I, when my husband had left and I was at home with the children, quite a lot of people invited me around with the children, but I became an invisible person as an adult. I didn't get invited around to dinner as an adult, as a single person. Suddenly, it was only, I was only an entity with my children and that was not terribly helpful. But on the other hand, there were some excellent examples of men particularly said to me, he's a fool. And that there was there was a lot of encouragement to preach, uh, to lead worship, to be part of the worship team. There, there was encouragement to exercise my ministry, which was really helpful because it kind of like was saying, don't worry about what's happened to you. We know that it wasn't your fault and, you know, you're not in any way tainted by it. Because it was really difficult to walk back into church that first Sunday. Uh, but to be uh, to be put to work usefully in the church mm. was really, really helpful. Jo?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is when people would say to me, but you look really well. And I think I just want to speak on behalf of all people that have suffered with chronic illness. You can't see it. And um, in some days, it's worse than others. So some days, people might see, oh, she's walking okay up the road. And then another day, you might be in a wheelchair. And and they're a bit sort of like, can't kind of get their head around that. I really felt that God wanted to heal me from the inside out. He didn't just want to heal me physically. I felt that he really wanted to heal my heart. So I went for transforming prayer quite a few times, Mm. which was a great help to me. I was going to two community groups, different community groups, and I just had different people of the church message me to check in on me. And at church every Sunday, I'd always have, um, I don't know whether I mentioned names or not, but I'd always have this particular person insist on praying for me every single time, which I was just so blown away by, really, that they would take the time to do that.
0: So was that a good thing?
3: Yeah, that was a so good thing. So you can thing. say
0: their name then because it will bless them and encourage them. Yeah,
3: Neil Kirkland.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Awesome. He, he yeah. just, every week he would spot me and he'd go, Jane, let me pray for you. It was just such a, it was a real blessing.
1: Yeah. And so that, that was an encouragement to, to, to you guys. How would you encourage others who may be going through something
2: similar or who will go through something similar? in the future it's extraordinary how things work really because um it was 2002 that i was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis about two months ago i got a new client and at my first meeting she said uh, i apologize she said if i seem at all tired she said but i've i've got this strange illness called myasthenia gravis no way i've got that and she said i could cry she said i haven't met anybody else and i'm in the in the depths of it, and it's been extraordinary how God's used that. Really, it took twenty years before mm-hmm. I was put in front of somebody that I could encourage. Yeah, but uh, I have been a real encouragement to her, and you know nobody else has heard of this illness, so mm. how could anybody else understand what it's like? It it is extraordinary how God uses you later, and it's often I find that it's the longer view when I look back that I can see His hand and how He's had His hand on my life at various stages. And, and I can see now, I couldn't necessarily at the time, but I can see now how he blessed me at moments through it, not yeah. taking me out of it, but how he blessed me through it. Yeah. yeah, wow. How how would you encourage others, Jane?
3: Yeah, I'd just say when the rug's pulled out from under you, like just hold on to him, as hold on to God as he holds on to you. There really is... Nowhere else to go, and you realize that when you feel like everything's taken from you. And also, I just say, just get people around you that can pray for you, that you trust, and that can just be really honest to and just transparent with because it's really good to just be honest about your feelings and, um, and honest to God about your feelings and then ask for His strength. Days when I couldn't pray, you know, I just say. Lord, I I just can't pray today. Ho- Holy Spirit, please intercede on behalf of me. I I haven't got the words today. But, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And just don't back off church. Get stuck in. Mm.
0: I think uh before we close, before we finish, there's just one more question and I only want brief answers for this. How are you doing now?
2: Probably better than I have been in years.
3: <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, well, I don't suffer with fear anymore apart from public speaking. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing good, but it's still a journey and I'll have days where I feel s- stronger than others. Like, health-wise, doing good, but sometimes mentally, emotionally, it's up and down, to be honest.
1: It's been amazing hearing both your, your testimonies I'm absolutely blown away by your strength and your courage and your faith. And I am certain that that the people who listen to this will be encouraged. Thank you so much for your honesty and for sharing your lives with us. It's been a real blessing. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: We hope to see you for the next episode of the Playmakers podcast when we're going to talk about the power of kindness with two more guests.